Hi everyone, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I'm your host and beauty director, Alexandra Engler. So today we are going to talk about beauty's problem with perfection. And there's actually quite a few topics to cover within this conversation itself. So let's go ahead and get started. First up, you can be a perfectionist yourself. Even if you don't identify as a perfectionist, maybe you call yourself type A, or maybe you just set very high standards for yourself. Regardless, these can all set you back in your skincare journey, goals, and even health. See, if you never view your skin or yourself as good enough, you run the risk of pushing yourself too hard. But then there's the broader industry problem. The beauty industry sets impossibly high standards of perfection. I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to any of you, especially if you've seen an ad, editorial, or commercial. But then in the last decade or so, we've had to deal with another issue. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok even, they act like airbrushed highlight reels of other people's lives. You may look at Instagram and think that everybody is doing better or looks better than you. We come away thinking that everyone else is perfect but us. All of these elements of perfection can do a number on our self-esteem, our health, and our skin. So to discuss it further and to talk about what you can do, I spoke with Dr. Perpetua Neo. She is a doctor of clinical psychology and specializes in type A perfectionist clients. She also, I might add, loves beauty. So without further ado, welcome. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me here today. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited too. I think this is going to be a discussion that I'm super interested in. I know that you are as well. So I think we have a lot to talk about. But first, I actually just wanted to hear more about your work and your career. You know, you are someone who focuses on perfectionism, which I think is such a fascinating area of discussion. So I would just love to know how you got started what your career path has looked like and how did you decide to kind of pick this focus that you have? Okay, so basically I help my clients to master their time, their mind and relationships. So you perform and lead at your best always and sleep like a cat. So a lot of my clients are overachieving type A's who identify as type A++ and they're perfectionists with very demanding lives all over the world. So the solutions for these people are very different. So how I got into this is because I am type A myself. And growing up in Singapore, you know, whereas the culture is extremely driven and quick and demands nothing but the very, very best from you, this is something that I was used to. And also, um, like I said, um, as I was training and studying and coaching and everything, I find that the solutions are extremely different for type A's as compared to everybody else. So for instance, a person who is type A and is depressed would probably be functioning extremely well and going out and looking like the life is doing great. So the solutions that apply to everybody else do not just apply to them. So in the same way, um, when it comes to working with my clients, I I get creative. Because you're a psychologist, right? Yes, I'm a psychologist. Okay, wonderful. I just wanted to say that for our listeners. Continue. Yes. So with them, you know, like a lot of my clients basically have what I call the big three panic attacks, anxiety or toxic relationships. And they work very hard around it, but they work in the wrong way. So I help them to get around that rather than just tolerate. So, you know, what's like coping, what's like managing? I say that. So 2000, let's get to mastering your life or another bunch of them. They ask, is this it? Because their life looks really good, but they're wondering if they are plateauing and they want to get to the next level, whether it's personally or professionally. 
or both. Sometimes, you know, it's like in terms of their career track, if they are in a organization, and sometimes it's because they want to set up their own business as an entrepreneur, or sometimes both. So essentially, they have a very unique set of um, circumstances. Um, so they need unique solutions. Interesting. I, I can't wait to hear more about identifying somebody as a perfectionist in this type A personality. But first, because this is a beauty podcast and you have written for Mind Body Green about you know some beauty stories, and I know that you're interested in the psychology behind beauty. I wanted to hear more about how you just got interested in beauty in general. What was the draw for you? Well, generally, I like beautiful things. <laughs> Anything beautiful catches my eye. Anything that smells beautiful, looks beautiful, tastes beautiful. So I think I'm very, very um, strong in terms of my senses. But more seriously, I think it has got to do with growing up, watching my mother or going with her to Lancome and seeing her buy a whole bunch of different products and trying them on. So I learned to use eye cream early. So for me, like I learned to use eye cream at 15 years old. Thank God for that. And then, of course, my grandmother always moisturized her skin. So this would be my mother's mother. And she always told me that you have to take very, very good care of your skin because you want to make sure that you age gracefully and age well. But then you know, along the way in my life came several rounds of cystic acne. And then my mom drummed into me like, you know, yes, it sucks. It's terrible. Let's find solutions. But she also told me about oily skin and the fact that when you grow up, you're going to age slower. So it's kind of like, you know, this little dangle dangling carrot of hope that i had and so i'll be like okay never mind let me just look forward to reaping the rewards of my future self (laughs) so i learned to work hard at it right so that means learning to moisturize and take care of my skin and you know balance the ph but of course you know when your hormones wreck that's a different story altogether and then of course you know so basically um of course, then uh, a lot of my beauty explorations were also accidental discoveries to remedy issues like learning to fake good skin when I was younger and uh, learning to have better eyebrows because I overplucked my eyebrows, you know, what's happened. And then also it was also a bunch of creative explorations using my face as a canvas to try on many different looks, especially, you know, the looks in like the 1950s kind of era. But then, you know, like um, speaking more in terms of my career, my clients also want to take care of themselves. They want to take care of their looks. So not only are they very into the fitness and in fact, you know, they really inspired me in terms of my own fitness journey. They also want to make sure that they stay and look and look great. They have a good vitality. And so they will tell me things like, okay, I want to stay accountable in, uh, um, in terms of my beauty, my water drinking and, you know, like my basically my face regimen on top of all the other goals. And we just put them in the other goals to keep them accountable. So, because behavioral science can be applied to everything. And then, of course, I've got some clients in this industry as well. And like, you know, last year, for instance, I worked with Lancome in designing a personality test that, that helps people to figure out how they are wired and rock how they are wired. So in a sense, you know, we talk about mental fitness and, and its relation to your skin's fitness. Mm, that's so fascinating. I can't wait to hear more, but I want to actually lay the groundwork for this conversation that we're going to be having. You know, we're, we're talking about the challenging relationship between beauty and perfection. And, you know, your clients all identify as perfectionist type A people, or at least you have identified them as that. So I want to ask you, what is a perfectionist? What are signs that somebody has these perfectionist tendencies? How does this look in real life? Okay, so imagine you've scored between 0 to 99. That's failed. If you have 100 marks, that's okay. It's acceptable. Nothing else. <laughs> that is essentially a perfectionist. Nothing is ever good enough. But of course, you know, we have two different breeds of perfectionists, as I would put it very simply. 
um, one bunch is the unproductive one who just uses perfectionism as an excuse. And there's the other group, it's a group that I work with, and they are productive perfectionists. So what we mean is that they're type A's. They have multiple goals that they work on at the same time. And they're able to focus on these multiple goals. And in fact, you know, if they have multiple goals, it spurs them on even well. They are cerebral, so they're always lost in their head. They're always overthinking. They work hard and smart, but they are plagued by the fact that the goalposts that they install for themselves are always moving. So let's talk about identifying as a perfectionist or type A. Reports since the 1980s show that there has been a significant increase in the amount of people who identify as a perfectionist. And scientists are not convinced this is a good thing. So for example, there is growing evidence that the increase in poor mental health shown in young people may stem from the excessively high standards that we hold for ourselves. Most notably, studies point to unrealistic expectations for academic and professional achievement, what we should own, and yes, how we should look. They are never able to cheer themselves on. They are interested in what they haven't done rather than what they have done. And they always create all these pre-mortems that scares the hell out of themselves. Now, you know, while I say that having pre-mortems or post-mortems, you know, can also be important sometimes, you know, to help you to preempt any obstacles along the way so that you can basically chart a path forward and preempt any saboteurs, they obsessively focus on the bad as though bad is the only thing that will happen. So they amplify that, that and they take loads upon their shoulders. They are able to rest. And at the same time, you know, it sounds like they are quite self-focused, but no, a lot of those clients that I have, this productive perfectionist, are also very much concerned with building cultures and legacies for people you know, for their teams, their organizations, and basically for the communities as well. What are some, you know, negative side effects that come along with this? We've touched on a few, you know, someone might become depressed. Because obviously there are a lot of good things about being a perfectionist. It means that you're a hard worker, it, you know, you strive to be better. What are some of the, the the ways in which this may may hurt you if you if you let it go too far? Oh, there are plenty, plenty of ways. So, for instance, a lot of them, they feel like um, I will sleep when I die. <laughs> and they don't sleep. They feel like overworked and dropping dead, okay? Kind of like the Japanese from Karoshi is a badge of honor, okay? Um, and they feel like exhaustion is part of life. They feel like burnout is just inevitable. And not just one time of burnout, we're talking about cycles of burnout. So that's really, really bad because after you burn out one time, you're going to feel like this is your destiny and it becomes a learned behavior and you'll learn to be helpless. And then with that comes along poor health because if you don't sleep, sleep is the foundation of everything, right? Okay, so she just mentioned sleep. We so often talk about the importance of getting adequate rest here at Mind Body Green. It is absolutely one of our pillars of health. And I just want to stress why it has such a strong connection to beauty. So the REM cycle is the primary time in which your body is able to repair itself, skin included. During the REM cycle, your skin cells are able to rebuild and rejuvenate themselves, including collagen, elastin. They are also able to temper oxidative stress and improve wound healing. On the flip side, when you lose sleep, your body increases the amount of cortisol in your system, which can actually break down collagen and elastin. So your, if your health becomes poor, um, your memory doesn't clear itself at night because that's what happens when you sleep. Your cells don't revitalize and clean themselves out. Then already on a physical foundation, 
you are getting shaky. And then, of course, in terms of your mental foundations, because you're not resting enough, you're not giving your brain time to recharge. And then on top of that, there's also high levels of anxiety. And, you know, like a lot of people who say, I'm not an anxious person, are actually the people who are the most anxious because nobody else would actually have the inclination to say that out loud. Okay. And that's why, why does people always say I'm not an anxious person? It's because they believe that they are in control by being extremely cerebral. And what I mean by that is they essentially put this cognitive filter on top of everything to trick themselves. And, you know, like I ever wrote for Mind Body Green um, with Kelly, Kelly Gonzalez, another editor, about um, this. Thing called what I call cognitive Photoshop is something that I cover in workshops and seminars. So basically, it's what we do to trick ourselves by becoming over cerebral and over logical. But when you're over logical, you're actually being over emotional. Does that does that make sense to you? It does. But can you explain it a little bit more? I mean, I, I I'm connecting the dots, but I I'd love to have you explain it. So for instance, if they're feeling anxious they will engage in what uh, what we, we now know as toxic positivity. Cheer up. Everything's going to be all right. Suck it up. Oh, you're just being crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, um, yeah, if anybody went through this stress, they'll feel like that. We'll stop. Boom. That's all. Or you're not feeling this way. Look at what you need to be grateful for. So basically, they're bypassing, acknowledging what's going on for them. And what happens is as you keep doing that, you are shutting off your body. And the disconnect between your brain and your body becomes bigger and bigger. And sometimes what happens is that eventually erupts in panic attacks, which is totally different from anxiety attack. So a panic attack is basically, in short, when you feel like an alien has possessed you because you are completely gripped by sheer terror and your body doesn't feel like it belongs to you. And during that time, any kind of logic goes out of the window. I what you just said is so fascinating that like when you deny how how your body and how how you are emotionally actually feeling, like you know, when you're stressed or burnt out, you're you're separating yourself from your body. I've never thought of it that way. But you know, when you deny the fact that you're tired, you or you deny the fact that you're stressed out, you're separating yourself from your reality and your body and your truth. That's I, you know, it's a really, really uh, interesting way to think about this. I love that. So getting into the beauty of it all, one thing that you have talked about before and written a story for us on our site is how being a perfectionist can actually stop you from reaching your goals, specifically your skincare goals. You know, in this article, you you talked about the various ways that that can happen. And I just want you to share that here and talk about how being a perfectionist and having these high standards actually can get in the way. Yeah, of course. And I want to say that I really loved working on that article. I thought it was so relevant. And so let's say that in wanting to pursue the perfect for our skin or our lives, we get overwhelmed. So when we get overwhelmed, we don't start. Okay. Or we're, we're afraid that the perfect outcome will never happen. So for instance, you know, we are hoping for the moon or, you know, like basically something completely unrealistic. Okay, so because we think that that will never happen, what we do is we're not going to start anyway. So basically, it's just like giving up, resigning, or we create excuses for ourselves. Like for instance, okay, I don't have the is it's not I don't have the money or resources, or I shouldn't be spending the money or resources or even time as a resource to be creating this outcome. So again, we use that as a all or nothing kind of excuse, and we sabotage ourselves. And so all this stuff, you know, in terms of overwhelm, we can actually see in terms of procrastination. Okay, because a lot of people think that procrastination is about a character flaw or about being lazy. 
but actually procrastination is about being emotionally overwhelmed. And when there's too many choices in front of you or when you're just so concerned about getting it right, and this right is actually a very abstract kind of right that you haven't exactly defined in your head, then it actually stops you from going there. And another point that might also be relevant is that you know people who are perfectionists or um, like people, they might have hold themselves with extremely high standards. So they might find it vain or vapid to want to take care of the skin. So they might judge themselves. And then in that sense, they never, they never start on that. Sure. You know, one thing that you brought up as you talked about this is this idea of having too many choices in front of you and not being able to to select one because, you know, you, you're afraid you're going to make the wrong choice because you want the choice you make to be perfect. And I think that is so relevant today, just given how, how many choices there are for beauty products and how many choices there are for routines. You know, I think that we, we live in a a beauty industry right now that is just, it's, it's exploded. There are so many products. There are so many. There are so many routines that people tell you you should try. There are so many philosophies. It it's probably intimidating for people who you know might might feel this way, who might identify as a perfectionist. Can you speak on that a little bit? Just how this idea of there's just so many choices now, and how that might scare people from entering. So I think what we're talking about then is the paradox of choice, because you know we might say that hey, having choice is a sense of freedom, versus getting something imposed on you, because we love freedom generally right we don't want to be locked into one thing we want to feel like we have that option to choose but when there's too many things to choose from and then we start getting paralyzed because we don't know what's the best and then when we are so wedded to just having one outcome it's almost like okay if i don't get this right once it's going to suck forever so basically our brains go into catastrophe mode or into basically you know um, loss aversion we want to avoid having any negative outcome any losses so then basically you said okay too many choices can't handle done not doing it you also brought up a another point that i i think is interesting and i i loved when when you wrote about it for our site and i started thinking about it as well but if you don't have a clear definition of what your skincare goals are at the end, it's really hard for you to get started. And so I think one of the solutions that you that you have mentioned before is you need to get specific. If you don't have the idea of a definition of what you want, of what your end goal is, then it's it's really hard for you to get started because then like your idea of perfection is this like kind of you know, large thing that is not like, it's not really clear. So like, how do you, how do you get to perfection if you don't even know what perfection looks like to you? So can you talk about this idea of narrowing down and getting specific and what that looks like and how somebody can narrow down themselves, you know, and really think about this? Like, what do you tell people? So you'll probably be better at this. So, you know, let's say as, you know, as somebody who's deep into beauty and writes and researches about beauty. So, you know, like if somebody talks, for instance, about their eyes, what do you think, what, what were the main three concerns for eyes be when let's say I'm going to choose an eye product yeah yeah you know I I think the main three things that people talk with their eyes is you know you have bags under your eyes which is one specific problem that that you know it has to do with kind of the sagging there's dark circles which is an entirely other problem and you know that has to do with the skin under the eyes is showing the blood vessels underneath and it happens when you're tired there's also you know you're usually genetically predispositioned to it and then I would say the third is probably puffiness. You know, some people wake up with puffy eyes or they might have puffy eyes if they eat too much sodium or, you know, any number of reasons. So puffiness, eye bags, 
and what's the other one? Dark circles, yes. So if these are the top three, then you know the first thing we'll narrow down is we'll ask people what is your biggest concern. So let's start there. So essentially, instead of having this whole abstract amorphous mess that becomes this, this big tumor in your head that scares the hell out of you and wastes all your time worrying about something that doesn't exist, let's narrow it down into one of these three. Or is it a fourth option that is not in this list? Sure. Is it fine lines? Is that what you're concerned about? Yeah. Fascinating. And then like on a scale of one to 10, how bad is it? So we get an objective number because somebody's seven out of 10 may actually be somebody else. Okay. So somebody who says seven out of 10 is okay, but um, it's very different from somebody who says it's really, really, really sucky and says that their happiness um, and, and says that it's very sucky and it says that they're happy um their satisfaction with that's nine out of ten so you know a lot of these things are very arbitrary so we want to get people to actually define how bad they think it is how satisfied they are with the current situation where would they like to be so let's say you are seven now you want to move towards a nine and what what then the line look like and then we backward engineer from there that's such a smart and thoughtful way to do this and really aligns with what 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 we talk so often about because you know, somebody might say that they have dull skin or actually this is a better example. Some people might say that they they have concerns about their complexion because they think that they have too many, you know, discolored patches or they have, you know, some some post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation or things like that. And the underlying reason might actually be something like rosacea because, you know, they can look similar in, in certain cases. And so, you know, you start treating it as if as if you have dull skin. And so, you know, you use all these acids and, you know, you try to exfoliate it away. And that's really um, inflammatory for those with rosacea. So it starts getting worse and worse and worse and worse, right? So it is, to your point, it's so important that like you identify what's happening with your skin and in a thoughtful way. And, you know, in the same way that like a perfectionist comes to you and says, hey, I need help trying to figure out how to, you know, manage my life. We always say, you know, if if you are out of control with your skin, you need to go and visit somebody who can help you like narrow that down. I think that's a really, really thoughtful approach on how to actually achieve your skincare goals and be, you know, results oriented about it without, you know, sabotaging yourself in the process. Mm. And also just basically like you're saying, you know, we're just keeping it one step at a time, making it simple. Let's just test by speaking to professional rather than just guessing and scaring the hell of yourself. So it's kind of like medical school syndrome, right? If you go on WebMD, you kind of feel like you have everything. <laughs> so if you are already concerned for your, about your skin, then you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to see something worse than you imagine. So you, your perception is warped, correct? So you're going to be guessing and you're going to be thinking that the whole gamut of catastrophe is happening to you. And so we need somebody absolutely objective to help you with that. I often do that and I know better. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll see a breakout and I immediately, you know, I'm... I go worst case scenario in my head when in reality, it's just, I just, it's just a little breakout. It's okay. You know, it will go away in a few days if I just kind of leave it alone. So I understand why people freak out. Okay. So this is getting um, into the next section that I want to talk about, but I think one of the big industries, one of the big issues in the beauty industry is that we set such a high bar for what we think beautiful is. You see this in marketing and advertising campaigns, you know, you have to be poreless, you have to be wrinkleless, you have to be blemish free, you have to be glowing, but not too shiny. You know, we there's all these things that we set for ourselves and, you know, we 
we see it on social media. We, you know, people are editing themselves and they're putting filters on themselves. You see it in advertisements where people, you know, it's long been Photoshopped. That's been an issue for a long, long time. And I think that it's it's all rooted in this sense of perfectionism in, in, in some way. We want to look perfect and we want to put this version of ourselves out there in, in the world that is perfect. And, you know, we want to see perfectionism. And how do we address that as an industry? Because, you know, obviously this idea of perfect, whatever whatever that is, it's it's caused some issues because at the end of the day, you can't be poreless and you cannot be wrinkle free and you can't, you can't look quote unquote perfect. So how do we address the idea of perfectionism as an industry? So to begin with one thing, I'll give you the box standard answer, okay? Because I think that's still important. So the box standard answer is that we have to keep spreading awareness and reminding ourselves that the highlight reel of somebody that we see on Instagram is not the same as a daily minutiae, which our brains feel Okay, which our brains think, especially when we feel a bit down about what we look like. So our brains will automatically jump to that conclusion that we suck and everybody else is glowing. Okay, and imagine 500 different friends posting beautiful shots all the time. Or, you know, maybe like one a day or one every three days. It's very hard not to think everybody is like that. And if you keep liking such shorts or keep looking at the shorts, the algorithm of social media feeds that. So this is something we all have to keep reminding ourselves at the back of our heads. So for instance, you know, we get all these like fitness influencers who show pictures of this is what they look like from certain angles. Same photo taken seconds apart. I think those are actually really important to help people understand that, you know, angles and all are important. But that's the rational side. And hence why I say it as a box and the answer. Because we know that when we feel emotional, and when our fear center in our brain is firing on all cylinders or lit up like the northern lights, our rational side has got zero power. So think positive, think grounded, think controlled, totally backfires. There has been endless research recently on the relationship between social media and our happiness. Now, social media is still a relatively recent construct. And social media and the nature of social media is changing all the time. So the data is certainly not set in stone and we absolutely need to do some long-term and broader studies on this. But by many accounts, studies show that there is a negative impact on our mental health, notably surges with depression and anxiety. Scientists assume this has to do with social media envy and comparison, but again, more research is needed in this field. So I'm going to tell you a story about my personal epiphany. So it was many, many years ago when I was still living in England and I was coming back to Singapore for holiday. And obviously, you know, um, beauty demands in Singapore and London are very different, okay? And so my friend brings out this app and she says, look, zero wrinkles in your eyes. Your eye, everybody's eyes look so amazing. And my brain has this freeze moment. I can remember exactly where we were in Rich Museum. And I am horrified. I'm like, but I don't look like me. The app has totally changed my face. And that's when I realized that all these filters and apps designed to warp our face is incredibly unhealthy. You know, it's way worse than the deluge of perfectly airbrushed photos in the past that took some degree of Photoshop prowess to achieve. So, you know, you gotta be really, really like, good at Photoshop in order to make somebody look like a Sports Illustrated cover model, right? And this you can do anything. You know, you can lengthen someone's legs. And it's it's pretty crazy. So when you keep seeing your filtered AI face, AI altered face, um, as compared to your real life or unaltered shorts, you can feel like crap. 
because you've tasted the possibility of how you might look and versus like this is a fantasy that you've never known, right? So the bigger the chasm between your AI self and your real self, okay, the bigger the discomfort. So people get more dependent on these altered shorts. So for instance, you know, we've heard about the phenomenon of people getting plastic surgery starting years ago to look like their filth itself. <laughs> and you know, I'm not against an overall filter that softens a photo, gives a sort of net sheen, like you know, those on VSCO. I really love the VSCO ones. Okay. So I just want to put it out there. Okay. Um, but one that totally alters your skin and makes you miserable when you look at your real face, then I think as an industry or just generally as a community, that is a big no. So like I said, you know, when you have a big chasm between your AI face that you keep posting and you're so used to and your real life face, then you can go two ways. One is you're just going to persist and keep going into the AI direction and hate your own face, or you have to go the other way. So that's what I decided to do. You know, how do I create a face and skin I'm actually proud of? And that is going to be the hard thing. It's going to take time and patience and faith, you know, and also got to do with the fact that I want my Instagram self and my real self to be congruent and I'm going to learn to be realistic you know like to build goals along the way as compared to expecting perfectionism even though I'm a perfectionist you know like there's there's a limit for how much perfectionism you want so for instance like you said we are all going to have pores and I've had like many battles with cystic acne so of course I'm going to have some pores and I can go to the doctor and you know get like all this like different um, like lasers and all that stuff but there will always be some degree of pores because now I live in a humid country so uh, what I want to say is that if your filters are making you temporarily happy and then more unhappy and you look at your mirror versus your anime-like face, because some people's faces look like they are some anime cartoons, right? <laughs> then there's something you've got to do about that. Yeah. But to follow up this question, I, I, I am somebody who tries to make a conscious choice of not to um, Photoshop any photos of myself that I put online or, you know, use Facetune or, you know, sometimes I'll put on a filter, but nothing, nothing too crazy. And so that's something that I, that I try to do just because I, I, I like putting myself out there and not put a fake version of me out there. However, it can be sometimes hard when when I look at my feed and I see a lot of people that I know are clearly editing their photos or, you know, and doing all these things. And then I start to feel bad about myself because, you know, should everyone else is doing it. Maybe I should be tweaking my photos to make myself look a little bit better. Or, you know, that person has more followers than me. And, you know, look how they're doing their photos. Like maybe I should be doing something like that. And what do you tell people when when they start to go down that thought spiral? Or what do you tell yourself if you catch yourself in that thought spiral? Of course, you know, I found myself in such spirals on various occasions in the past because this is what happens, right? And no matter how you tell yourself that it's not that important, somehow you are still part of the social tribe and you cannot help but be sucked in a direction. So during times like that, I want to remind myself even more that do I want to see this incongruence between my Instagram face and my real face? You know, like, and sometimes I, I even tell myself things like, you know, like, okay, it's not even me consciously telling myself. It's like sometimes, you know, you meet a person whom you've seen photos of and you're like, hang on a moment, they are completely different people. <laughs> or you see some pictures of some people you already know, I'm like, that's not them. So, you know, like already this is like aberration created in my brain. And these things like that remind me about how I do not want to have this sense of 
like a discord between my real self and my internet self because you know like, i know it's very unhealthy for my brain in the long term so then you know i was run like in this kind of cases where there's like two different things that feel very conflicting whether it's in terms of beauty or anything in your life you know one thing you ask yourself is what's the short-term cost of me not doing this what's the long-term cost of me doing this and and you want to think about this you know sometimes it can scare you into action into learning to take care of yourself rather than have a temporary gratification of just staring and seeing dumbbell issues that you have because in the end at the end of the day it's not going to keep you warm at night it's not going to make you that happy it's going to be like this because this fake dopamine hit is not paying your bills either unless you are this you know, mega influencer right it, it doesn't give you a job promotion it doesn't bring you clients if you're an entrepreneur so you gotta like have your priorities right in life like you know maybe if that's your escape um and you choose that to be then you're consciously aware of that then maybe whatever floats your boat <laughs> but for most of us you know that's not really a conscious escape and for most of us we know that it's not making us happy so in the long run we gotta make choices that build and built the pathways towards becoming the people we want to be. So I'm curious because you did mention this a little bit earlier and I kind of want to go back to it, but this idea that we view others as better and more perfect than ourselves and kind of this comparison game. I just want to know, why do we do that? <laughs> why are we so harsh on ourselves and so uh, complimentary of other people? Why can't we view ourselves in the light that we view other people? Uh, why? What's going on in our brains that we're just not allowing ourselves to do that? Well, our brains actually wired to remember the negative and to avoid losses. So for instance, you know, we're going to feel a lot more discomfort and pain when we are going to lose $100 as compared to gaining $200. So basically, we are just wired towards the negative. But you know, that doesn't mean that that's your destiny. You know, that's just like what helps us to survive. Because if you don't remember that there's a lion on the savannah and there's part of the bush, then you're likely to die, right? <laughs> you're not going to pass on your genes. So this is just evolution's mechanism, but we're not like living in the bushes anymore. So basically, you know, like I want to emphasize that insecurity is part of human nature. So, you know, it's not like you being a special snowflake or anything like that. But when it comes to things that we're insecure about, okay, we tend to downplay our strengths. We tend to dramatize our perceived or real flaws, and then we do the complete opposite for others. So, you know, you ask most people what they think they kind of suck at, for instance, in communicating or being confident, they will tell you, oh, I think everybody else is more confident than I am, like this person, that person. And then you speak to this person, that person, they're going to say, no, actually, I think that original person is actually a lot more confident than I am. So it's just the sense of bias that our brains have that we are not even aware of. So basically, when it comes to things that we suck at or we think we suck at, we think that everybody else is better. That's just the way it is. So there's no objective kind of um, of skill in our brains when we have this you know, like chip on our shoulders. So it's kind of like this, you know, like there's this um, meme that goes around that says that, you know, imagine you are this cat that looks in the mirror, sees this lion. But what's happening is that when we're insecure, you can be a lion all you want to be. But when you, but in the mirror, you see a scrawny rat. So another thing that I'm interested in is this idea of skin dysmorphia in the same way that people might have body dysmorphia, you know, where they don't necessarily see themselves in the true light or they see, they see problems where there is perhaps no problems or, you know, I think we do that with our skin. And I, I additionally think it's becoming a bigger problem now because of social media for many of the reasons we've already discussed. But, you know, I, 
we're always looking for problems in our skin. And I want to know why, why do we do this? What, what's happening when somebody has some degree of skin dys- dysmorphia? Why are we constantly looking for imperfections and what can we do to stop it? <laughs> or at least stop ourselves from doing it in the moment. Even if we can't stop ourselves from looking for imperfections forever, how do you, how do you pull yourself out of it in the moment? Well, again, like, you know, I want to say like we are our worst fan or our harshest critic so non-existent fan essentially so as you know if a lot of our worth is tied with our skin then we have to look for flaws to avert any possible losses like for instance if i have bad skin people are not going to like me i'm going to have fewer likes on my pictures especially if i'm always posting pictures on my face and that gives me like a billion different likes right and so you know like so you understand in your head instantly there's this whole like like the chain of events and there's this metric that you have with regards to your skin so you have to keep you you're almost like you're preempting so anxiety essentially is of is how you are looking to the future but you're looking to a crystal ball that tells you catastrophe and the worst possible outcome so it tells you apocalypse so we are wired to look for worst possible outcomes in that sense and when your skin becomes something so precious to you i'm not saying it shouldn't be but when it becomes like your all-encompassing obsession then you're going to keep looking for flaws in order to prevent or you know like to basically in order to like um how to, to preempt any like future problems and it's it's just our brain's negativity bias but one thing i need to say though is that we are all allowed to have our own degree of personal dysmorphia okay so like there's something that no one can potentially judge because you know like we can say that we look great for you know like our age or whatever happens in our life but we know that we're totally slipped okay then no amount of coddling or patronizing or consoling is going to work so we might actually have real benchmarks that we judge again and that's okay but when skin dysmorphia takes over our lives where we obsess over can't really function it or it's hurting our relationships then it's not that good so what i mean by hurting our relationships is you know we are not exactly going out with our friends anymore because all we care about is our skin we are not connected to people and when we go out all we do is talk about skin or we just get obsessed about it so you know like the whole conversations about that so for instance like you know um i remember like meeting this person and in the past and she has like this tiny little pimple okay like literally 0.5 mm right <laughs> and the whole time for five hours she's talking about it on an otherwise flawless skin well i understand that you know if your skin is flawless then a tiny one mm that might look like one mm to on like nothing to somebody else would look massive to you okay so because like our pieces are different in our brain right but if you're spending all your time complaining about it and it's affecting the way you're functioning that's when there's something that needs to be done about it. So that's when we know it's unhealthy, okay? Or, you know, like say you're just obsessing about something that you know will pass. So for instance, like, you know, in women, for instance, we know that when it comes to hormonal cycles, we, at certain points in our cycle, we are likely to get pimples, right? So it's not the first time you will ever have one. And you know that will come to pass as well, correct? And if despite that knowledge, you still want to bypass biology, and you still want to obsess about it to the point it becomes self-absorbed, then again, that's not good. Okay. But another thing I also want to ask so would, um, for people to think about when it comes to tackling skin dysmorphia is to ask yourself what's in your environment. So as famously said, show me your, the top five people you spend your time with and I'll show you your future. So if your circle is obsessed with the imagined floors or they're always going under the knife to cut here and there because there are actually a lot of circles like that, 
or these are your imagined circles whom you hang out with online. Like for instance, you're just tuning into their channels all the time. Then it's hard not to get swept away. Okay, especially if that's all you discuss. Okay, and then the moment you open your phone, your phone, okay, because your phone is listening in on you, <laughs> because what happens, right? Then you you open your phone and you see these articles about, um, about like plastic surgery or about the latest Botox and things that promise you an unattainable perfection that only comes from skillful Photoshop, but you choose to believe that that can be your future if you work hard enough, then that is going to be unhealthy. So, you know, it's about asking yourself, what are you constant, what and who are you constantly exposing yourself to? Like, for instance, you know, if I meet an aesthetician or a skincare doctor, I'm always very, very firm. I'm, I'll be like, no, I don't, I do not want Botox. I do not want to change my face. I like my face full stop. And so by what I mean boundaries is we are directly or indirectly telling people do not fan the flames of an unhealthy relationship with my skin or my looks. Yeah, I love the idea of sending up boundaries and you because you are influenced around the people around you and you are influenced by what you consume. So if you know that, you know, this is your personal standard of what you want to do with your skin and how you want to look like you have to set up boundaries in the same way that you set up boundaries in other areas of your life. Yes, definitely. So you got to police those boundaries really, really firmly, especially if people around you are always talking about cutting here and filling here. <laughs> You'll be surprised and all like conversations I've heard and I've been like part of and I'm just like, what is going on? I love that. I think that, you know, if you know that about yourself that you don't want to get filler, you don't want to get Botox or you don't want to get plastic surgery, then when people around you start talking about it, then you need to either excuse yourself from the conversation or, you know, like get them to talk about something else. And, you know, in, in the same way, people who might have body insecurities, they'll, they'll set up, they'll set up standards and boundaries for themselves, you know, where they, they say, you know, like around me, don't talk about diets or don't talk about this, or, you know, don't talk about that because that is, you know, triggering to me or it's, you know, it makes me feel a certain way. We need to do that with our skin and, you know, other areas that we might be insecure about. I think that's a really, really beautiful tip. You know, I I want to talk about what are some actionable steps that people can take if if they are if they feel that their perfection standards and beauty are starting to hinder themselves. You know, you obviously work with perfectionists in a broader sense and, you know, they're perfectionists with their whole lives. What are some tips that you give your clients about how they can better their actions and they they can help themselves? And how? what are some tips that you give your clients? Then how can we apply them to uh, beauty? So the most important thing is basically to understand the difference between good enough and perfectionist. So, you know, like in some parts of our lives, we, can be, we want to be artisanal. So we devote that amount of energy and effort to mastering it. But we realistically can't do that for every single thing. So, you know, like, so when it comes to talking about what's perfection, also, we have to look at it from different vantage points. So, for instance, you know, I read this, um, this blog post by Seth Gordon recently that he says that the perfect plane to the customer is very different to a manufacturer. So, if you're a manufacturer, you might want, like, the most amazing plane with the best and the most beautiful interiors. But to most customers, it's just about, it needs to be safe enough maybe even hygienic enough to get me from point A to point B. And that's all they care about because there's only that certain amount of time they want to spend on it. The plane does not belong to them, right? So in that sense, you know, if you want to apply this analogy, you want to ask yourself, are your perfectionist goals about you or about the way people are viewing you, okay? Because after all, we learn to internalize judgments and view ourselves from the lens of how we think people are viewing us. So for instance, you know, like you could be grabbing your third cookie and then uh, and you're alone in the privacy of your own home. 
and this voice in your head is like, mm, but you're going to grow fat or but that is fat. That is you internalizing judgment from society as well. Like, okay, this is not healthy. That's okay. That's kind of like common sense, right? But you're going to look bad. Like who says that, right? So in that, in that way, you know, like chances are, you know, very few people are actually judging you for your skin. So paradoxically, if you are building all these perfectionist ideas, you know, in your head, based on what you think people are judging you for, actually this judgment does not really apply if you look at it properly. And if there's somebody in your life who's giving you a lot of unsolicited comments or advice about your skin, then maybe they shouldn't be in your life because that's incredibly rude and unboundaried. Okay, so this is like the whole, the, the, that's like to set the framework for perfectionist standards versus good enough. And then what you want to do then is to break it down, like we talked about according to outcome that you want to achieve. And like, you know, maybe now your skin is, dull so yeah you, you say the downness is like eight out of ten then you could strive for the downness going on to six and then to four then you can start changing your new goals to i want glowing skin you know so it's like first step healing okay then next step um beautifying you know next step thriving right so you know maybe sometimes you've got to get rid of something before we can add something so just know that your goals might change and that's okay rather than just have a big goal i want to be perfect what the hell is perfection anyway right time you spend obsessing is another big one so like um, when people worry a lot what happens is what i would tell them to do is you can actually set a time limit in terms of your worries so i know it sounds completely crazy but it's not so like you know i had clients who worried for like eight hours a day so i said how about this you know let's give you like two hours a day to worry this is a certain area in your, in your house you sit down there and every time you know during the day when a worry pops in you just tell yourself like okay i'm going to follow this worry away and i'm going to worry i want to worry from 6 to 8 p.m in that chair <laughs> and they may laugh at it but they actually do it and then they realize that okay, that actually keeps my worrying in check. So that's a container for it. And then very slowly, then they, you know, very quickly, sorry, they start to see that their worrying time has gone down from two hours to a half an hour a day and then within minutes. So basically you want to give it a container. So if you limit your worry time regarding the skin or your relentless research on your skin and you find an activity that is healthier, okay, such as connecting with others, you know, healthy people um, or doing something meaningful, doing something that's oriented towards mastering a craft, then that will also help to contain your perfectionist habits because you've got this energy, right? Like, so you've got to be able to channel it somewhere. So like I said, the time will pass anyway. Do you want to spend it doing scrolling and worrying about your skin? Or do you want to spend it doing something that, you know, when you come to out of the other end of that time tunnel, you feel good about yourself. So it's, and then another thing about skin is that you want to remember is about incremental gains. So if your skin isn't that good right now, I speak from experience, okay? Um, I hear and feel you, okay? But I know you're very tired and you're also feeling impatient, but your skin didn't get this way overnight. So it's not going to suddenly become amazing overnight. So you know, like in terms of like, say, you know, a fitness analogy, right? So if I lift 20 rounds of kettlebells a day for seven days, in between my calls, so in seven days, it's 140. In 100 days, so it's 1,400. So my arms are going to change. So in this sense, you know, you've got to ask yourself, what are the smallest tweaks you can do that will compound and pay you dividends in the long run? And these tweaks are definitely not obsessing and worrying. <laughs> this tweaks are actually going to do something small about it that will actually pay you. Yeah. So final follow-up question to this train of thought, but so let's say that somebody's on this journey of you know, trying to uh, treat themselves better and, you know, they're they're following the steps that, that we've given them here today, but they still don't view themselves as perfect. They're still, you know, insecure about themselves, what, whatever their hangups are. How, 
how do you convince people to accept yourself and love yourself even if you don't fit this quote unquote standard of perfection that you have set for yourself or the media has set or that's been set on social media? You know, where is the balance between achieving quote unquote perfection and accepting yourself for who you are? So you can like yourself, okay, but you can still want to grow. There's a difference between contentment and languishing or staying stagnant. So that's one really big thing. So if let's say, you know, like to ask yourself, where are the standards coming from? How likely are you ever going to achieve that? So for instance, like, you know, in some, in some cultures, it's being blonde and blue-eyed. And if you're not born that way, how on earth are you going to be born in blue-eyed? <laughs> Short of dyeing your hair every six weeks and sticking in contact lenses and looking pretty weird sometimes for some people. Like, <laughs> then, you know, you ask yourself, how can you rock how you're white? How can you enhance what you already have? And, you know, maybe it's time for you to actually start to create who you are rather than just take this fictitious, abstract thing that it is standard as poison upon you. Because of all this, we want freedom, right? So why are you locking yourself into this standard that you're putting onto yourself? And also, like, it also comes down to a sense of being patient with yourself. So, you know, like in, in psychology, we call it self-compassion. Some people don't like that term. So especially type A's, we don't like that term. So we just call it kindness to ourselves. And we explain why it's really important to be kind to yourself because people who are type A and kind to themselves actually do a lot better than people who are type A and mean to themselves. And so when people like that are convinced of the benefits, they start to practice all these exercises to take care of themselves and to show more kindness to themselves. And that includes resting and slowing down and being more thoughtful about what they really want for themselves. And chances are they'll start to realize that, hey, you know what, a lot of these goals that are foisted upon me really aren't about me. And why am I spending all this time trying to chase them, whether it's in terms of beauty goals, skincare goals, or achievement kind of goals. And then what you also realize is that no matter how you take care of your skin or how many things you cut and feel and inject, someone's going to cut and inject even more. So are you really on the hamster wheel? So you want to ask yourself, like, how much are you really willing to sacrifice to go down that route versus create this person you really want to be? Yeah. Well, I I love this conversation that we just had. I feel like I learned so much. But before we go, I just want to ask you, what do you do for uh, your beauty routine? You know, this could include products, but I say that beauty is not just at your bathroom sink. It is... It's your whole life, you know. So, what what are some what are some routines that you do? What are some lifestyle stuff that you do? How do you how do you take care of yourself? So, for me, like I really love beauty stuff, and I'm curious about it. And for me, um, taking care of my skin is part of a very like grounding ritual. So, I could spend like half an hour in the shower every evening, or one hour in the shower every evening, and that for me is the way in which I take care of myself and I slow down, right? And of course, you know, besides buying nice products that I that are good and besides having a doctor who takes care of my skin i always make sure that i massage my skin so there's this thing called a lymphatic drainage it's called the asahi massage and i do it twice a day and i actually find it you know just for me it's a very grounding process where i'm just taking care of myself and just going beyond going through the motions um and during this time i actually incorporate very deep breathing techniques again just to take care of my brain um i also make sure that i move a lot so you know i incorporate a lot of walking a lot of hiking um a lot of running and weights, but of course, you know, like I balance that with massages and going to the jacuzzi, which 
again, help my skin to take care of itself. And then, of course, um, internally, I also make sure that I take good supplements. So I think you were the one who wrote about astaxanthin, right? It's a great antioxidant. Yeah, because I read that, I've been taking that. And <laughs> I never knew that it really protects you from insight. So I do that. Um, I do things like fish oil and sea buckthorn and a lot of berries. So, you know, like, so I also do intermittent fasting, but I balance that with treats. So, you know, I have loads of good foods. I love burgers, but I'm not going to deprive myself. I just want to make sure that I have a good balance. I'm myself right. And I'm also able to indulge. And of course, you know, at the end, uh, like that we're talking again, like the bigger picture, right? So, you know, like having good community, great relationships, a great environment. I love my work. I love my life. And I always take care of my brain and my energy. But of course, you know, I know it sounds like, um i'm doing like all the right stuff but so to the listener you know it may feel like okay i've got that life already and how do i start right but what i want to say as well is it wasn't always like that for me you know like i said i had like many rounds of cystic acne when i was younger and if you read my column in my body green you'll probably realize that when i was younger i suffered from panic attacks i was in a toxic relationship with a narcissist and you know i was like going through a lot of racism in a foreign country as i built my business and uh, so i studied there and then i built my business and there's been a lot of different challenges that go along the way so like i said it's incremental gains just because you haven't managed to take care of every single area of your life doesn't mean that you won't get there one day if you want to yeah it's it's a process it's a journey and you know this is we're all on our own journeys and it's important to acknowledge that you know everyone's journey is going to look different and all you can do is to your point just be kind to yourself just take care of yourself you know do what helps you to to slow down and to recharge because you can be charging all the time in your work but there's going to have to be a counterpoint so you got to rest and if your beauty and vitality are important to you, then that's something you've got to take care of. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a beautiful conversation. I I really think it's hopefully going to help a lot of people out there because I know that this is something that I, I, I struggle with. And I think it's something that a lot of people I know struggle with. And I think it's a lot of things that, you know, I get a lot of questions about a lot of this stuff that we talked about. So I think it's an important conversation to have. So thank you for joining. Of course. And thank you so much for, you know, like inviting me to be part of this. Hey guys, just popping back in here to say thanks for joining us this week at Clean Beauty School. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you're looking for more beauty content or just wellness content in general, don't forget to check out our website, mindbodygreen.com, our Instagram, mindbodygreen, and of course, our parent podcast, the Mind Body Green Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks again. See you next week.